Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast. What's up, y'all? Dan the Fitness Man here. Hoping you're having a great Monday. Appreciate you guys dropping another hot podcast. This one's going to be all things technical archery, off-season shooting. Not with me, though. With somebody who's way better at this thing. Guy who uh, owns XXX Archery up there, barely in Oregon. Uh, he lives in Washington State. Blake Jerome. Dude's a target archer as well as a really badass elk hunter. In Washington State, public land, over-the-counter kind of vibe. So we're going to dig deep on off-season best practices, technical archery, how to super dope your system, how to kill elk in public land, how to kill elk in Washington State, which is a really cool topic. So we're going to get into that. So we'll cover that. Um, Let's see what's going on. So this is the final week of the free Elk-Shaped December Chub Challenge. Four weeks in total. So many people have been working out, sweating, and shooting their bow this month when I bet without this little challenge, they would have never done that. So we just made it sexy to work out and shoot your bow and rewarded effort. Week one was shoot an arrow a day and break a sweat however you need to do every day. Send me proof via Instagram on an IG story or post and tag us. Week two, I got Cameron Haynes involved and his 1.1 million followers, and we did a lift-run-shoot week, and the dude is so damn generous, he gave away a bow to the winner that week, and uh, that was really cool to see uh, just a huge influx. His influence is uh, undeniable, as well as people got to have a little taste of the lift-run-shoot lifestyle, which is a grind, man, honestly, 
And uh, that was awesome. And so I know Cam, he might listen to this podcast. He might not. But if you are, dude, thank you. You're so good for archery. And you're so generous. And you have a lot of people that love you. A few haters, but those just fuel you. And I know that's awesome. So thank you, Cam. Week three, got a hold of Jonathan Dudley, arguably one of the better coaches when it comes to technical archery and he has his own style and I really appreciate John I've known him for a long time and he did the knock fit week and he wanted two a days an hour of lifting or whatever breaking a sweat hour of power and then an hour of shooting in order to ensure that he assigned four arrows 10 ends that's 40 arrows a day and that winner was announced uh yesterday and week four so if you're listening to this Monday, you, you can enter this week. It's free. And so let me just get to the carrots. If you want to know what the challenge is, find it on Instagram. It's under it's at Elk Shape, but giving away a pair of Hanvog boots. Thank you, Hanvog. We're giving away a Numa outdoors clothing system, a waypoint suit, and merino base layers. Giving away Vortex Razor 4000 Rangefinder. We're giving away a Wilderness Athlete gift card. And I'm giving away my Baku e-bike. That's right. Called those guys. They said, Dan, just, we'll, we'll replace it. Give your bike away. And so we're going to have five winners for the last week. And uh, I hope we get a huge turnout. I hope people crush it. I hope I get to send some really cool prizes to people that deserve it. And uh, yeah, man, it's a brand new week. So anyone can enter. If you guys noticed, I said Numa. I'm going to address this now. Mine as well. So one of the reasons maybe you listen to this podcast is to get inspired, learn some stuff about elk hunting, fitness, nutrition, or whatever. But that's the brand. Elk Shape's all about a lifestyle. I'm pretty transparent, so I'm just going to continue to do that. So obviously, this is what I do for a living. So I do work with companies. I do get checks. And that stuff's important. It's how I feed my family. And I've been working with a lot of awesome brands. And sometimes I have to change brands because it's a better business decision. Um, sometimes I have to change brands because maybe it just doesn't feel like the right fit or the right vibe. So this isn't like a huge announcement for me, um, but I'm certainly excited about it. So I'm just going to do it right here, right now, kind of off the cuff. So I've been wearing Sika gear for 13 seasons straight. And I know the owner, uh, one of the original founders. I have his cell phone number. I filmed him shoot his first whitetail ever in uh, Kansas. Um, and then one of my really good friends is like the guy who designs a lot of the Western stuff for Sika, uh, Jonathan Barklow, still a really good friend. So this was a hard decision for me, but really at the end of the day, I, I kind of knew the writing was on the wall, so to speak. Like, Sika is a tricky company to work with for me, always has been. Uh, I've always had abundant Sika gear clothing and gear, and I've worn it proudly, but I've also always known that they really weren't, like I wasn't on their list of like people that they work with per se, not officially, never, nothing official ever. I've never signed a contract. And when I finally brought that to their attention that, hey, you guys don't even follow Elk Shape on your own social channels, you've never used any of our images, um, whatever. And then if you notice their vibe is a little bit lately, um, for lack of a better word, probably granola, if you will, more like modern huntsman style, like photog sheep hunting 
maybe pretentious, maybe elitist, maybe not. Maybe it's my imagination. Either way, it's not my vibe. I'm just a hardworking hunter. And so I knew like I was going to just basically say, if you guys want to work with me this year, here's my media kit. I'm not going to follow up. And uh, if you want to work with me, reach out. So we did have a conversation and it was kind of the same old narrative. So I decided to start testing other clothing. I tried several brands out, like reached out, send me a little starter kit, let me test it out. And I finally found a brand that one, passed the elk shape rigorous field testing, because that's so important, have to be able to stand behind it 100%. And number two, you have to want to work with us, like understand the elk shape brand, understand where we're going, the direction, understand what we do with the elk shape camps, what we do at the elk collective, what we do on social media, what we do on the YouTubes. Like it's really blue collar, hardworking, elk hunting, balancing out your faith in your family and staying accountable to yourself and being a leader of your household, all that kind of stuff. And Numa Outdoors was like, we get you, we understand you, we want to support you, let's work together. So I do now, officially going forward, I'm wearing Numa Outdoors this year. Uh, They are awesome to work with. I will give you guys a discount code at the end of this podcast, and I will say it on every podcast so you can check them out and save some dough. Um, I will put a link in the show notes to their stuff as well. But um, Numa, I'm excited to be a part of your tribe. I appreciate that you appreciate us, and uh, this will be a great decision for you guys. This will be a great decision for us. Moving forward, let's get into the podcast, Technical Archery. We're talking to Blake Jerome, Triple X Archery. Uh, I'll put a links to his archery shop as well as his socials, and uh, buckle up, guys. We're going to dive deep. We're going to geek out on archery. You're going to dig this. Here we go. You know, I always tell people that my... I'm a target shooter first and a hunter second, honestly, which sounds crazy. I grew up hunting. I love to hunt. But for me, hunting is, you know, the actual hunting season here in Washington. We get a 13-day early season. We get, you know, a late season. But for me, target shooting is all year long, and I'm just absolutely addicted to it. I just – I go to everything that I can. Um, I, As you probably know because you know Corey Miller, I bought triple X archery from Corey. I just – archery has been my life. So – absolutely love it and i take that and i apply it to elk you know so um i think that's like a recipe for success like to have that like focus on target archery i mean everyone that i know that's phenomenal bow hunter generally has some sort of background in target um okay let's let's back up like we're just gonna go with it from here blake like um how did you and Corey meet Corey miller I actually, I met Corey and I don't know how well he remembers, but I remember because I'm quite a bit younger than Corey. So I'm 31, I'm about to be 32 here in a couple of weeks. And Corey is what, 51 now. So when I first kind of started going to archery tournaments, Corey, John Huvel, some of those, some of those like local legends around here, they were the guys that I looked up to as like an 11, 12 year old kid. Right. So I would go to these tournaments and I would see these guys with these these target bows and these crazy long stabilizers and I'm just like, oh my god, that like that's what I want to do. That's really cool, right? So I met Corey as a child, kind of as a fan, right? So um, went to tournaments, a, a lot of tournaments as as a kid, just kind of shooting bow hunter, shooting my hunting bow. I didn't have a target bow at that time, 
when when I turned 18, I joined the army. And once I kind of got out on my own and started making my own money, I was able to buy myself a target bow. Um, so so kind of got into target that way. And then when I came back, um, once I got out of the army, once I turned, uh, I was 23 when I got out, um, started going to a lot of tournaments and then really started getting to know these people. But when I, when I was a kid, I knew him just more as an acquaintance and somebody that was more of a fan of watching the target game and watching him do his thing. Oh man. So Corey is, uh, yeah, Corey's old cause he might listen to this. I want him to know that. <laughs> no, oh, yeah, he knows. <laughs> I remind him all the time that he shoots in the senior class now. And <laughs> <laughs> Corey Miller, for those that don't know, uh, he's been on this podcast before and look that one up. He's the guy's gold. I've met a lot of people in the archery industry. He might be one of my like favorites. He's just a good human. So you're only 31. You own an archery shop. It's called Triple X Archery. Uh, it's spelled out. If you're going to go to the website, I'll leave a link to it in the show notes. Um, tell me about your archery shop a little bit and how you run it and kind of the vibe there. Cause every archery shop, as I've been to a lot, have different vibes. Yeah. And you know, so, so that's good. Um, my thing as, as a target archer, as, having a big target archery background, I've been to a, a, you know, every different shop in Washington and tons of shops across the U S right. And so I wanted to kind of, for me, there's most archery shops are hunting related and, and so is triple X. I mean, the, most of our business is hunting, but I want to have like a target archery kind of way of running it and going about things. Right. So a lot of guys, and, and I'm not the kind of person that would ever talk bad about any other shop. However, um, I really try and take people's hunting bows and set them up the way that I would set up a target bow. So I really pay attention to the small details and that's, that's how I try and separate myself. So, you know, people will come in and we'll, we'll work with them and we'll spend, you know, it, especially on days where it's not real busy, I'll, I'll spend an hour or two with people really trying to coach them and teach them how to shoot their bow properly and kind of re going through their bow, setting things up, making sure that we have, level knock travel and that just everything about the bow is perfect and just kind of going through it and doing the same thing that I would do to a target bow. Um, just, I'm, I'm not, I've never been the, the used car salesman type of guy. Like I don't push any one brand of bow on people. I know some people it, it's like truck guys. Some people love Chevy. Some people love Fords and archery. Some people just love PSEs. Some people just love Hoyt. I'm the kind of person that I think that all of the big manufacturers are really producing some really great bows these days. And so my thing is, Hey, let's set up three, four five different bows and let's have you shoot all of them. And let's have you like, let's have the bow pick you because what I like in a bow, as far as dry draw cycle, as far as back wall feel, how the bow feels on the shot, like that's different than what a lot of other people like. Right. So I don't want to push something that I love on somebody else that may not be right for their shooting style. Um, so that's just kind of a couple of ways that I try and separate myself. So when you guys, uh, as shop owners dedicate a few different bows for people to try, and there's not a week that goes by where somebody doesn't message me multiple times about, um, like for example, the V3 just came out. I have one. They're like, should I get the 27 or 31? And I'm like, I don't know. Go shoot them. Um, <laughs> right. Seriously, just go shoot them at your – like I, I want them to go to their local pro shop, 
that's home base. Um, so when you guys set aside bows for customers to try, what is on the bow? I mean, obviously, like Matthews is pretty easy. You can just slap on different mods without even putting in a press. But like, do you take? Do you have a peep sight in there? Do you put a whisker biscuit? Do you put a sight on there? Like, what's that look like? So, uh, so oftentimes it it kind of depends on the customer because a lot of times customers will come in and they're and they're very experienced, so they know already kind of what they're looking for, what they want the bow to feel like. So. You know, for example, I had a I had a guy come in the other day and he had never shot a bow before, right? So I had him shoot the bow as a bear bow and he wanted to try that PSE Mach 1, the carbon. And I was like, okay, well, let's shoot it as a bear bow. Let's just slap a rest on there in a D-loop. And don't worry about a peep. Don't worry about any of that stuff because you, you don't know really how to shoot the bow yet. And I, I want as little things for you to think about as possible. Um, but let's shoot it as a bear bow because this is this is the worst that the bow will ever feel. Once we put a sight on there and a rest and and a quiver full of arrows and stabilizers, the bow gets smoother and smoother and smoother, right? So I want you to feel what the worst case scenario is. And then let's go ahead and we threw a sight on there. We threw a good rest on there. We threw a couple of stabilizers on there. Let's shoot it that way as well. So you can kind of feel the difference. You you understand what you're getting. But here's worst case scenario. Here's what the bow would feel like with absolutely nothing on it. Um and then a lot of guys, they just, you know, they, they want to feel draw cycle. They want to feel um, what the back wall feels like. Really, in, in my mind, when you're selecting a bow, you're selecting a cam, right? So I, I've always felt like and always told people that, you know, we're, we're shooting a cam. I mean, there, there's different risers and, and obviously different aesthetics to a bow. But all I really care about is how the bow feels when I'm drawing it back, how it feels at anchor and how it feels on the shot. So, so for me, that's kind of how I start, right? So people will come in and, and it's like, okay, well, what bow are you shooting? What do you not like about that bow? Why is it that you want to upgrade it? And kind of what are you looking for? And then I can kind of steer you in the right direction. If somebody likes a, an ultra soft cam or somebody likes a really hard wall or whatever, then we can kind of steer them in the direction. But especially the people that have never shot before and they're just getting into it. Those are the people where it's really like, okay, well, let's set them all up. Let's shoot five, six bows, and let's start eliminating the ones that you don't like. And then what we're left with is the one that you love. I think that's so well said. Yeah, cams are interesting nowadays. You got hybrids and duels and binaries. Um, let's let's kind of look at – let's talk about PSE a little bit. Talk about Matthews, Hoyt, some of the the, the bigger three, Bowtech. Um, maybe just go over um, some of their technologies – their cam systems and kind of um, Cliff Notes version, the vibe you're going to get when you pull that bow back. Um, generally speaking, sure. So, so in in my experience, I I really really like what PSE has done with their Evolve cam. You know, I tell people all the time, and and you know, Corey and I both tell people because Corey still comes into the shop a lot. He's he's a local guy. I love the Evolve Cam because they've done a really great job of kind of bridging the gap between something that's really, really smooth. It's it's just a nice drawing bow. It's got enough of a valley um, where it still feels aggressive. You can make it feel like a more aggressive cam, but you can also sit back and relax in that valley a little bit for hunting situations. Now, I should I should I should uh, say that when it 
when it comes to my target stuff and when it comes to hunting stuff, I like a totally different feel. You know, with my target stuff, I want a, a super aggressive cam. I shoot Hoyt's spiral cam. Oh, wow. You really do? Yeah. And I, and I shoot it down at like 60% lot off. So I, I oh, kind of wow. play with the cables to get that because I just want it to be very aggressive because I'm, I'm somebody that's, that's got a pretty aggressive shot. I pull pretty hard. Um, I, and that keeps you honest, but that's not, that's obviously not what you want in a hunting scenario, right? Correct. Like, obviously there's, there's just times where it's like, oh, you got to hold, you got to stay at full draw for a minute and a half. Right. And I can't do that with a spiral cam. Mm-hmm. A spiral cam is all about getting in it, getting into your anchor and, and shooting the shot, you know, just being aggressive, strong all the way through. Um, so for, for me, for what I like that evolve cam works really well for me. So I've been kind of gravitating towards PSE. Um, Matthews, I'm not a Matthews dealer. I'm not a, a huge, I really like Matthews. I love the bows that they're putting out. I don't have a ton of experience with Matthews, if I'm being completely honest. I've shot their TRX-40 a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as their target bows, I love the feel of them. And I love them because they do have that aggressive feel that I'm talking about. Um, a lot of the target bows, in fact, are, are going to that type of feel. Um, because they just they realize that when you sit in that in that back wall and you have a lot of sponge and you have a lot of give that can lead to consistency issues when you're talking about a precision target game. Um, when we're talking about elk hunting, we're not talking about shooting a field round and, and hitting X after X after X. We we have a much bigger target, much more room for error when we're shooting at something like an elk compared to a field round at 80 yards. Um so they build these bows to be very consistent and be very, very precise on especially long range stuff. Uh, what I do know about Matthew is they make a very small or a very smooth cam. Um, generally speaking, and, and maybe you can speak more to this because you're, you're more familiar with Matthews. But from my experience, they're not super, super fast bows. Um, they're more built for, for that the side of people that really value smoothness, um, which, and when I always tell, I get people that come into the shop all the time. And a lot of people are just, are just looking for a number on a chronograph. You know, they want the fast. I had a guy come in the other day, no kidding. He's shooting a 65 pound bow and he had 340 grain arrows. I'm just like, man, that is, that is light. That is really light. He's like, yeah, but my bow is like 365 feet per second. I'm just like, it's like it would be like throwing a ping pong ball at an elk right this thing's gonna bounce off of it yeah um but people people just love that speed that's what they're a lot of people are um you know there's other people that don't care at all about speed which which is me right like i want to hit behind the pin i don't care about speed at all like i generally don't even shoot my bow through the chronograph i have no idea yeah no i would say that the my experience with Matthews and I'm fairly new to them. I'm on, this is year three. Um, so, uh, I don't go back to the Halon. I started with a Traverse, a Vertex, worked through the VXRs and I'm V3 in it. Um, not fast, relatively speaking. Um, but I have a short draw length of 27. So I won't see speeds with my hunting setup over 280, 285. And that's shooting even with 75 pound mods. It's, and that's where I've been a little fortunate. I have a little bit different experience because I do have a 30 and five eighths draw length. Right? Oh, so must be nice. I, yeah. So I'm able, I'm able to shoot even lighter draw weights and basically any bow that I shoot, I'm going to get kind of up there where I want to be. So I, you know, I feel for some of these guys like you that have a 27 inch draw that it, it does become a little bit of an issue that I don't usually have to deal with. Right. Because 
you know, we, we had a guy in the other day and same exact same draw like he's at 27 inches. Um, he wants to shoot a heavier arrow, but he wants to be at 285. And it's just like, well, you can go with PSE's speed bow. You can shoot that expedite, which is a, a 360 feet per second bow. That's going to be about the only option to be able to do what it is you're wanting to do. And you're still not going to be able to shoot the weighted arrow that you want to shoot. But you you can go heavier. But the only way to get you up to 285 is to shoot this expedite. Mm, I love um, it. I love it. So the the tinkerer in me, I want to get your take. Because I think picking the – like so when we do these elk-shaped camps – uh, across the U.S., uh, we start with archery. Everything kind of hinges upon having, or like you, like you've already said, like you need to have the right bow for you at the right setup and get it as close to a target setup as possible. So the very first thing we do is we try to look at people's setups and what we think they might want to tweak, and then we kind of get into shot execution. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So that brings me to uh, incorrect draw length, which is it happens more than I wish it would uh, when I go to these camps. And so, what's your take on tinkering to get the exact draw length for your customers? I'm talking like, okay, Dan, you're actually 27 and a 16th, or an eighth, or a fourth, or a half. Like, how do you go about getting that just right? Are you twisting strings? Are you messing with the D loop? All the above. I'm super. I want to get nerdy right out the gates. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, right off the bat, your your draw length is your draw length, right? So, a lot of people have this misconception that you can change your D loop length, and that actually changes your draw length, which which isn't true. It just changes where your hand would anchor into your jawline or into wherever it is your your release hand is going to anchor into your face. I like to run it in my jawline. Um, it's just a real consistent place for me to run it, but it doesn't actually change the draw length itself. The draw length is the draw length. Um, but you can, with the D loop, you can get, you can change a little bit of how the bow holds. And so for me, I, I go for most people, I go strictly off visual. So I'll, I'll look at somebody's height, right. And I'll say, okay, you're, you're this height, your draw length's going to be pretty close to about this. And that's where we're going to start. And then you're going to draw back and I'm just going to kind of watch you and I'm going to see where you anchor. And I try, I try and set a draw length up based on anchor points, based around anchor points. I want you to be super, super comfortable in the bow. So what I always teach people is I want them to come, I want them to get to full draw and I want them to anchor their hand first. And then I want them to drip, drop the tip of their nose into the string. Okay. And we're going to kind of set the bow up around those two anchor points. Now, if you're not able to get your, the tip of your nose to the string and you're having to pull your head back, you have to lean it way forward. That's going to tell me if the bow's a little bit too long or too short. Um, so I do it, I do it all on visual. And then once we get it, then you can tweak it with cables, right? You can, you can add twists to the cables. You can, you can take twists out of the cables to lengthen it a little bit. So then it's just these little minute differences. And really what we're doing there is we're going out to the range and we're actually kind of looking at your sight picture. And this is all on the shooter. The, you know, I can't see the sight picture. I can't see exactly what your sight's doing. But if your draw length is, is a little long, you can you can dip a lot. You'll be a little bit sloppy. Um, if it's too short, people have a tendency to over pull and climb their way out of the top of the target. So kind of based on what you're seeing with your sight picture will tell us, do we need to shorten this a skosh? Do we need to lengthen it a skosh? And then I'm the type of person that Let's go ahead and make adjustments anyways, even if you think that it's perfect, right? So long, and, and if you're just a bow hunter, right? So long before 
the, and I say I say that because target archers are doing this consistently all the time. This is something that we're always tinkering with stuff and trying to find the best thing that we could do. But with bow hunters, a lot of guys from from what I see is they have a tendency to get their bow set up and then they don't ever touch it again, right? So what I always recommend is make little adjustments and just see, just see if if things get better. Because if you don't ever try it, you're never gonna know. So what would happen if you added an eighth inch of draw length? Would maybe your shot groups would get a little bit better. If they get worse, we know we went the wrong way, right? Yeah. So let's let's shorten it a quarter inch and let's go an eighth the other way. If they get worse, then we know that we were right there in the ballpark. But if they get better, then okay, well, maybe I should run an eighth shorter. So I'm I'm a big proponent of don't be afraid to to make some adjustments. Don't be afraid to try things, especially if you're months out from your hunt, right? If you're if you're within two days, don't touch your bow, man. Like get get your stuff sighted <laughs> in. And, and but if you're two three months out, don't be afraid, right? So a lot of people don't understand the concept of like holding weight. And in my mind, you're you hear people talk about their peak draw weight, right? So a lot of people are, oh, what are you drawing? Oh, seventy pounds, sixty nine pounds, whatever. So especially on like coming from a target side of things. The only number that I care about is my holding weight. What do I hold at full draw? Because that's the number that's going to determine how well I hold. So the example that I always give people is my holding weight on my target bow is 18.7 pounds. And I, I really, really shoot a bow really well right in that range. If I can hold 18.7, I will aim the bow really well. If you take that up to like 19 and a half or you come down to 17 I get really sloppy in the way that I aim. So mm -hmm. I know what my holding weight has to be for me to aim a bow the best, right? And and that's different for my hunting bow, but on my target side, that's the number that I like. So I always tell people, don't worry so much about that peak number and kind of play around with that holding weight number. What do you, what holding weight do you need for you to aim the bow really well? And if you don't play with different holding weights, you don't play with different, because when you change the peak weight, it obviously changes your holding weight. So if you don't, if you don't play with those holding weights, you never know if there's something out there that's a little bit better for you. Same with like stabilization, right? Your, your weight distribution. These bows these days are, are so efficient and they're so smooth that stabilizers are a lot less about vibration dampening than they used to be. Now it's just more about weight distribution and really getting that bow to hold and aim well for you. A lot of people just slap stabilizers on and they don't ever play with the actual weights and the distribution of the balance of the bow. And I always tell people, play with it, add a whole bunch to the front, add a bunch to the back, see what happens when you make these little minute changes. Because what happens is over years, you start to come up with a formula that works really well for you. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Um, let's talk about sighting in a brand new bow as far as... If you could say, okay, guys, this is the way that I've found the best way to sight in your new bow. You just went to the shop. You just picked it up. You're all dialed. You got it tuned. It's in time. I want to sight in my sight, whatever sight that is. What's the best way to start? So, you know, I'm always I'm, – it depends on, I guess, what – I, I guess I would need to know, you know, what, what type of side are you running? Are you running a five pin fixed side? Are you running a mover side? Are you running a single pin? Like what exactly are you running? I always generally get people sighted in and dialed really well at 20 yards before they ever leave the shop. Now for the more experienced shooters out there, like for myself, I don't even run a 20 yard pin. I, I run a five pin site and I go 30 through 70. Um, f for me, my 20 yard 
it's such an easy close shot um, that my tw- my 30 pin works just fine for that. If I hold my 30 pin two inches low, I'm going to smoke whatever it is that's standing at 20 yards. Um, so for me, I don't even run a 20 yard pin. But for your less experienced guys or, or guys that just aren't as good at shooting a bow, it's generally I would recommend, okay, run it 20 through 50 or 20 through 60 or wh- whatever your capabilities are, whatever. And I always tell people like, I'm, I'm not the ethics police. I'm not going to sit here and tell you how far you should be shooting at animals, but you have to be very honest with yourself and, and really know what your own skill level is. Um, but as far as setting up, like, let's take, if it's a, a five pin, I, I think that's pretty common for, for most people are running five pins. So I always, first thing out of the gate is I run the 20 yard pin towards the top of the housing to get yourself the most room inside your housing. And then it's always just a gang adjustment on, on the block itself. Um, and then we'll dial in 20 really well. Now I always, I always do, we do walk back tuning to make sure that our rest is absolutely perfect. I do a lot of bear shaft tuning. I know there's mixed reviews on that. In fact, I listened to your podcast um, not too long ago on bear shaft tuning. I know that some people are in in the in the realm of thought that it doesn't matter. I absolutely believe that it matters, but that's coming from a you know a target side of things. Um, but you know, obviously, the sighting in is is a pretty easy thing. Um, you know, follow the miss, get it get it to be in the middle. Um, and then, and then we check accesses and stuff from there. So, so that walk back tuning, let's maybe go over that real quick. I think that might be the, your best bet, uh, because, uh, maybe you go to the archery shop, they get it dope for you and then you go home and you're like, okay, where do I begin? Maybe that's almost like the best way to just check everything's dialed. How would you do the walk back? Sure. So, uh, the way that I walk back tune, um, I will start at 20 yards and I will put, or 20, 15, whatever guys are comfortable with. And I'll put a little like pin dot up on the target right and i get to where a good shot when a good shot breaks i can absolutely hit that you know like those little one inch dot rifle rifle targets or even the half inch orange dot rifle targets good shot breaks at 15 20 yards it hits right on the money like it is absolutely smoked and i, I will do that until i'm 100 confident that yes i am absolutely sighted in as as the best of my ability at 20 yards so without moving that sight you know, if you have a slider site without moving that site, I'm going to take a, like a four foot level and I'm going to draw a perfectly plumb level line straight down the target. Now I'm going to walk back to 40 yards or 30 yards or wherever people are comfortable, but the further back you go, the better result that you're going to get. Um, but you don't want to go back so far where you'll miss the bail. So that dot that we shot at 20 yards, that's way up at the top of the bail. Okay. Not in the middle of the bail. We put that at the top and then we take that that level and we draw a plumb level line straight down and then standing at 40 yards, I'm going to use that same 20 yard mark and I'm going to aim at that dot with my 20 yard mark at that, at the orange dot that's at the top of the bell and my arrows, if the rest and everything is perfectly centered shot, it should fall straight down that plumb level line. If the rest is slightly off to the left or to the right, it's going to fall to, you're going to group to the left of the line or you're going to group to the right of the line. From there, I would make an adjustment with my rest. So let's say that it's it's grouping at 40 yards. Let's say it's grouping an inch and a half to the right of the line. So I'm going to make a little slight rest adjustment, just just a, a skosh into the left, right? So I'm going to move the, the rest in the direction that I want the shot group to go, okay? So 
I'm gonna I'm gonna then go back up to 20 yards and I'm going to recite my bow in, right? Because since I moved the the rest to the left, my shot impact at 20 yards is also going to move left a little bit. So then I'm gonna recite it in. I'm gonna have to bump that side out to the left, right, to get that to come back, and I'm gonna get it to where it's right back perfectly in the middle of that orange dot. And then I'm gonna go back to 40 and I'm gonna just keep repeating the process. I'm gonna only move my sight at 20 yards and I'm only going to move my rest at 40 yards. And then eventually those two will come in to where when I sight in at 20 and I go back to 40, all of those arrows will fall exactly down that line. And then I can be sure that, okay, my rest is perfect. Um, now, before I go any further, I should say that before we walk back tune, it is absolutely imperative to make sure that your sight is perfectly level. Most of these sites these days have first, second, and third axis adjustments. So if your sight is not perfectly level, you can get the same result. Because if you're canting your bow, let's say that your sight's out of level, your second axis up is out of level. If you're canting your bow right, your arrows at distance are going to start to go off to the right. So if your bow's not perfectly level, I always tell people, like, did you level your bow first before you did the, the walk back tune? Oh, no, I forgot. Okay, let's level the sight and then let's re restart that process because we got to check that off the list. If we're missing right or left, we need to know, okay, is it because the sight's out of whack or is it because the rest is out of whack? Um, but this is a really, really great tuning tool that a lot of people skip. A lot of people just slap a rest on their bow. They kind of get it going down the middle of the riser. They shoot it through paper. They get a, a, you know, a decent bullet hole and they think, okay, I'm done right where there, there's really a lot more that you can do. And you can have a rest that's out of whack and still get a bullet hole. If other things on your bow are out of whack, if your cam lean is off or if your timing's off or whatever it is. Right. So, Oh yeah. Just kind of going through the bow and making sure everything is perfect before before anything, whether you're a target shooter or you're a hunter, is is imperative. The the obviously the more well tuned your bow is, the better broadheads are gonna fly out of your bow. I mean, we have people come in the shop all the time and oh I can't get my broadheads to hit with my field points. My broadheads are flying terrible, right? They're can't even hit the bale at 50 yards, but my field points are perfect. And these are issues that because I spend so much time tuning my bow. I really don't run into these issues that I hear people talk about all the time. My broadheads are always very close to my field points, and I'm able to just make these little tiny tweaks that I have to make to get them to come in perfect. Um, I don't have these giant wild differences between broadheads and field points like a lot of guys do. And I think that a lot of people overlook the tuning aspect of and, – and not only the tuning. I mean a lot of it a, – a lot of issues that people have are just shot execution, right? They're just – they're punchers. Um, they slam through the trigger, and obviously that's going to, you know, broadheads are are definitely more affected by bad shooting um, than a field point is. Oh yeah, I would say in my experience that um, I don't know a lot of people that just slap rests on themselves. Um, I think they rely on archery shops to kind of get them out the door, um, but then. I think the walk back tune is a great way, like assuming that the shop did your first and second axis, and then you can go out there and make those tweaks just to clarify on the walk back tune. So if you're, let's say you're using your top pin and you're walking back 15 yards, 25, 35, maybe even 45, you got a big enough bail like I do. Uh, and you see a trend where your arrows are all to the left of your plumb line. You would take your rest and move it to the right just a little, right? 
Just a little, right. So you would move it to the direction that you wanted the arrows to actually impact. If you're and to the left, you would move it right. Then you would probably want to check, would you want a bear shaft at that point or check or shoot through paper once you've made an adjustment? Or do you feel like, no, you're good? I don't. So I get, so essentially, what once you do the walkback tune, you should be perfectly center shot. Now, after my walkback tune is, is perfect, what happens generally is I will go recheck my paper tune and just shoot it through paper just to see, just to see what it's doing. I'm, I'm not a huge proponent of you absolutely have to like so many people think that paper tuning is the end all and it's not right. It's just a really good starting point to know exactly what's happening out of the bow. For me, my end all is group tuning. If, if I can stand there at 60, 70, 80 yards and I can shoot a really tight group of arrows, then if I have the slightest little, knock high tear if it's a you know if it's a little bit not perfect i don't care right Right. for and coming coming from especially a a target stance right because all i care about is how well can i group arrows at distance that's all i care about Mm. um i like so too many too many people will you know they'll they'll be they'll shoot a great group and you'll watch guys do it at the range all the time they'll shoot this phenomenal group and then they go shoot through paper and they're like oh something's wrong with my bow and it's like well Look at your arrows downrange. It doesn't look like anything's wrong with your bow. It looks like you're shooting it really, really well. Oh, no. And you watch, you know, you'll stand behind them and watch the arrows, and the arrows just fly like lasers the whole way there. But because it had the slightest little kick two feet out of their bow, they have issue with that. And I always remind people, like, listen, the, the, the arrows have veins on the back, and the veins instantly correct everything out of the bow, right? The, the veins add drag to the end of the arrow, which slows down the end of the arrow, which keeps it straight, right? So you might see the slightest little tiny kick out of the bow, but five feet out of the bow, that thing is flying like a laser already. And if they group down range and you can shoot a three inch group at 80 yards or a two inch group or whatever your capability is, then why do you care so much about, you know, because I've seen people where they'll, they'll shoot really, really well. They'll, they'll make an adjustment to get that perfect paper tear and now all of a sudden their groups open up at 80 yards. And it's like, well, what, what would you rather have? Would you rather have tighter groups at 80 yards or a beautiful bullet hole? Now, in a perfect world, we want both, right? Like we want it to look beautiful through paper and we want to have those perfect groups. But if I can only pick one, I'm going to take the group. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, let's with target season kind of approaching, hunting seasons in most states kind of winding down, I think it would be good to just kind of remind our listeners, those that are at least archers that primarily are like myself, like bow hunting is life. What do you think about encouraging those folks to try an indoor league this year just to, as it pertains to elevating their, their bow hunting game? Yeah. So I, I am really passionate about this right here. And I tell people all the time, I don't, if you're not competitive, it doesn't matter. Just go and shoot some tournaments, whether that's indoor league, whether, you know, you're shooting some outdoor 3D tournaments to, you know, bigger field tournaments, going to Reading, shooting nationals, going to Vegas and shooting the indoor world tournament. Like go to some of these because what it teaches you is how to shoot your bow under stress and perform well under stress. And I don't care if you're shooting at the bowl of a lifetime or if you're shooting off in Vegas for $50,000, stress is stress, right? So if you go to these tournaments, it's the absolute best place to learn how to deal with that pressure. You know, I've shot a lot of good bulls in my life and 
generally speaking, when I get to the point where I'm drawing back on an animal, I am, I am a a million percent confident that this is going to go well, right? Because I've shot so many tournaments and I'm so confident in myself as a shooter that I get, I'll get nervous. I'll get like knees shaking nervous on the stock and on the approach. Or if an animal's coming in, like I'm nervous because I know I can still mess this up. But when we get to the point where like I'm drawing back, my pin is coming to the animal, my thumb is wrapping around the trigger, I know this is going to go well because I'm so confident in the way that I can shoot a bow. And that's why I tell people constantly, go to these tournaments. I don't care if you're not in it to win. I don't care if you don't want to, you know, get to a super elite level. You don't want to be, you know, the Jesse Broadwater of the of the archery world. Just go anyways because it, it teaches you so much. We, you know, for example. I run a target league, an indoor target league at the shop on Tuesday nights. Um, the core group of guys that I have are just bow hunters, right? They don't, they don't, they're not target shooters. They don't, they're not into it. Well, they've started getting really into it, right? They kind of go down that rabbit hole, that, that target <laughs> realm. Yes. And they're like, oh my God, this is, this is a lot of fun. This is very competitive. When they first started, they were so stressed. I mean, hearts racing out of their minds. And now a lot of these guys, they've shot matches, head-to-head matches against people. I mean, they've shot 30, 40 matches. And now when I talk to them, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm not nervous. I feel good. I feel really confident, like I'm shooting well. And what's really cool is that – are you familiar with, like, Vegas rounds? Yes. Okay, so – you know, it's out of a 300, and I think probably a, at least the majority of your listeners are probably familiar with them as well. Um, it's out of 300, and a lot of these guys that that started, I mean, they were shooting 230s and 240s, right? Which, when, when you're looking at a Vegas score, you know, admittedly, that's that's not a very a high score. Um, these guys, most of these guys have went from shooting in like the 230s to 240s that a lot of these guys are putting up like 280s, low 290s now. And we've only been doing it for 10 weeks. And these guys have come so far in their ability to shoot a bow. And that will absolutely translate to success elk hunting. You know, I always attribute my success personally as a hunter. I, I always tell people I'm, I'm not a super gifted caller. There's people out there that are just amazing at elk calling. They can just bring bulls into themselves at 15 yards every year. And I'm just like, well, that must be nice. Right. Yeah. That's not, that's not me. Right. I am not, I I'm a, I'm an okay elk caller, right. I can locate them. I can find them. Like I can do a little bit, but I've always relied on my ability to shoot a bow well in the woods, right? So I, I use the Google Maps. I study the terrain. I spend a ton of time in the off season driving logging roads and kind of figuring out where cows like to hang out because I know the bulls will eventually be there. Yeah. And kind of learning the area and figuring it out. And then I, I really rely on the ability to shoot the bow. I kind of study where like where do these animals go when they're spooked? Where do they where do they like to hang out? Where do they feed? Where do they bed a lot of the times? You know, I kind of figure out what they do, where the herds are, where, you know, get on Google Maps and figure out where where are these mature bulls likely to be this time of the year, right? Cuz we never see them in February, March, you know, like they're ghosts. Um, where are they likely to be? And and kind of that's how I've always hunted is just okay, like I I, I'm just going to rely on the ability to shoot the bow. And, uh, you know, I got a little bit of calling. Like I said, I can do it a little bit. Um, but what I tell people is because of target archery, because I'm so confident with shooting a bow that, 
generally speaking, when like myself and my group of guys that I hunt with, when we get opportunities at animals, we generally don't miss. Right. And that, and that's what I tell people all the time in the shop is like, go to tournaments, please, please learn how to shoot under pressure because you're going to, I get people that come in all the time and they're like, Oh yeah, I, I missed a really nice bull this year at 35 yards. I'm just like, Oh my God, 35 yards. Come on, man. Right. So yeah, if you're, if you're shooting tournaments all the time, 35 yards is going to feel like such a chip shot. You're never going to miss. Right. Um, so, so that's my big thing. Like, please shoot leagues. You gotta go. You gotta, and, and not only, not only the pressure aspect, but you meet so many cool people. Like most people in archery are really cool people. Um, so many people are willing to help. They're willing to kind of help you not only in archery and your archery skill, but hunting as well. Like you meet a lot of cool hunting guys. Um, you get to talk stories. You just, it's, it's just really, it's just a fun environment to be around. And then it's an excuse to shoot your bow all year, right? So you're not just hunting elk and then putting your bow back in the closet for 10 months. You're out there all year getting good and shooting and, and doing something on the weekends. Okay, Blake. So you, you talked about anything you've talked about to this point. I can't, I mean, I can't agree more. You're preaching to the choir. I think everyone's like fired up to shoot their bow at this point. Um, I got a couple questions. I got to organize my thoughts so I can remember them. So I'm going to shoot both at you and then we'll, we'll cover them. Okay. I want to go back to right now in the off season. If you're like, let's say your archery shop is uh, closed because of COVID or whatever. And you have some, you have the ability to put some target stuff here at your house or whatever. What would you say is the best way to improve your perfect practice to where you're actually going to get some benefits. I mean, I know reputation is king. I get that. But like, I don't like it when people just go out and shoot 12 arrows mindlessly. Like, can we give some quick ideas on how to elevate your practice sessions um, from the, just shoot from the hip and then don't, for, don't let me forget to geek out on your personal hunting setup. I want to know all the things, including your release for elk, but let's go to perfect practice. Sure. So, um, I am a huge proponent of blank bail. So, you know, and by blank bail, I mean, standing four or five yards in front of the bail, pulling the target down off of the, pulling the target face off of the bail and just going through shooting the bow. Well, so, there, there's a couple different um, trains of thought on shot execution out there. Um, my train of thought is, you know, there, there's this concept in, in sports psychology that your conscious brain can only focus on one thing at a time, right? So archery is made up of two different aspects. You have shot execution and you have aiming. Well, your conscious brain can only focus on one of those at a time. So I choose to have my conscious brain focus on aiming. And my shot execution, I want to be a very subconscious act. You know, for for something to first become subconscious, it has to be conscious, right? Like, you know, take driving, for example. Right now, most people that drive, it's a mindless task. You can text, you can eat, you can sleep, whatever, when you're driving. Um, But when you were learning to drive, it wasn't that way. I mean, you had hands at 10 and 2. You're trying to stay between the lines. Like, you were learning everything and you, you had to consciously learn how to do it, and archery is no different. So to learn, you know, I could talk about shot execution for, for a week, but to learn the intricacies of shot execution, you have to sit there and consciously go through it on a blank bell, 
right? That is, that is my opinion. That is, that is how I think that I got to the level that, that I got to is I realized very early on that what separates good shooters from elite shooters is their ability to execute the release consistently and, and accurately every single shot. Um, you watch the best shooters in the world at, at Vegas, for example, and every single person that is good looks absolutely robotic in what they do, right? So very early on, I was like, okay, well, that's what I want to do. I want to become robotic. How can I do that? Okay, well, when you have a target hanging, when you have a target face hanging on a bale, your brain's going to get very, very careful in what it does. It's going to consciously try and take over so you don't make mistakes, okay? So when you're aiming, Oftentimes what happens is you freeze up, you hang up in the release, you you get tense, your body, your conscious brain tries to take over and hold that pin in the middle. And then what happens most of the time is people end up punching through their trigger because they see that pin in the target in the in the middle of the target and their brain says, OK, we need to fire that now. Right. And and that's what we call target panic. Um, that's my basic definition of target panic is it's your brain's association that when the pin is in the middle of the target, we need to fire the shot. So what I recommend, pull the target down off of the bail and stand there and just go through the execution process of the shot. Because when you have no target hanging on the bail, you have no repercussions of missing the bullseye. So your brain is able to relax and you're able to just sit there and shoot perfect shots. And the other thing, and and I like what you said about focused practice, right? So many people just go out and they shoot 20 arrows to just go through the motions and say they shot their bow that day. And that's, I, you know, that's, that's good for endurance to keep yourself in shape. Um, but it's not good for actually improving on your, on your skill level. So for me, it's always about where am I the weakest in my, in my shot? Like, am I weak in my execution? Am I weak in the way that I grip the bow? Am I weak in my follow through? Like, what is the worst part of my game? And when I blank bell and I practice, that's, that's what I'm going to focus on for the day. That's really going to be where my conscious effort goes for that session with the idea that if I do this consciously enough times that it will become subconscious and it'll become mindless. And when I'm presented with a shot on a trophy bowl or any animal for that matter. Everything's just going to flow and it's just going to happen. I'm going to draw back. The pin's going to come behind the shoulder and I'm going to execute a perfect shot. Um, so, so that's my big thing. I always tell people that 90% of what I do to prepare for a big tournament or really any tournament, I mean, the bigger it is, the more, the more I take the practice seriously. But to prepare for any tournament is is mostly blank bell because when I go, you know, we have Le Grand next weekend and it's it's a pretty good sized regional tournament. And all week, all I'm gonna do is just sit there and blank bell shots, blank bell shots. I'm not gonna sit here and shoot a bunch of practice rounds because if my execution is perfect, when I get to the point next weekend where I need to score a round, I know it will be there. The scores will take care of themselves. I need to focus on the things that I can control, which is my shot execution. That makes sense to me. Uh, the the other question I had, there's some good information in here, man. Like I want to blank bill a little bit more than I have been. I got a setup in my office. I can do that. Um, I had another guy on here, Yasti Perkins Killer, who also got me. I want to try his method of he has every arrow in his setup. Like he's got like 100 arrows and he shoots all of them through paper. And he does that just to make sure like he's to keep himself honest, make sure he's not torquing or too much, you know, facial pressure on the string or, or sometimes he's got to twist the knock. He's got a, a bad bullet, but, um, both sound awesome. 
and I think your definition of target panic couldn't be more spot on. It's like you want to get rid of that arrow because you're on target. And that's what I see at these camps. Uh, I've worked with Joel Turner quite a bit personally and at camps. And I think he does a good job. I think he's a little different than you on his. He uh, is. So we we have a little bit different train of thought. And and I, I know Joel really well. He's a local guy here. Um, his, his son Bodie is a, a phenom, right? That yeah, kid. Kid's pretty good. I mean, yeah, you're, you're, you're going to know him for, for years to come. Um, and, and we have a little bit different train of thought, you know, we're, we're basically reversed his, yeah. his execution. He wants you to focus on the execution. I believe that you should not focus on the execution and, and my reasoning behind it. And I think Joel's a great guy. And if Joel ever listens to this, Joel, I, I, I love you. I, I don't, you know, um, my thing for the execution is, if you focus on it, if, if you're thinking about your execution at some point, and I've seen it with people, and that's the only reason I say this, right? At some point, you start to anticipate it. You start to think about it, and you start to think about the exact moment of execution. For me, I want that arrow to leave the bow before I you're, – you're essentially trying to race your brain's reaction time. If I can get the bow to fire itself as a surprise, the arrow leaves my bow before I have a chance to influence it, right? <laughs> it, it, That's pretty much it. But here's what I will say, like not to interrupt, but I am interrupting. Like you said it really well and Joel says it really well. And so I think I could learn from both of you too. But like when you're a beginning driver, you can't – do a bunch of other things and drive. It is 10 and 2. It is stay between the lines. Whereas as you become more seasoned, you could have a stretch of 50 miles when you're driving to elk camp that you don't even remember thinking about driving. And it's like, and so if you're, if been into archery a long time, maybe you don't need to focus as much on the aiming. If you do have target panic, maybe you need to take a step back and focus slowly on the shot execution. Reverse that though. Um, for me personally, I think I need to focus more on aiming and aiming very tiny, small, and then get that shot break to happen on its own. It's just a thing that happens and I, and I stay out of the arrows way, but either way, like filming yourself shooting, and getting a coach, I think that's what it distills down to. Regardless of the coach's philosophy, like guys listening in your neck of the woods, which is like what are you're out of like the Seattle, uh, you're out of Portland, Vancouver, Washington. Where are you at? I'm out of Centralia, Centralia, C- Washington. Oh, Centralia. Get a coach. Pay the money, especially you new archers because of COVID. There's a lot of new archers, a lot of new bow hunters listening. Um, take it from me. Picked up a bow. No one taught me anything, so I taught myself every bad habit possible, and you don't want that. Get yourself a Blake pay. What do you charge for an hour session? If I even if I wanted to have you coach me for an hour, what would that what would that cost me? So I so I base my session. It's it's thirty dollars. Um, Best thirty bucks you'll ever spend. Thirty dollars, and kind of the way that I do it is it's 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 session based and not like time based. So it it could end up being an hour, it could end up being forty five minutes. It's it's more or less. What do we want to get out of that lesson? Where are you personally, and what do we want to learn? Kind of what are the you know I'll watch you shoot. Okay, here's the biggest issue that I see in in what you're doing. Let's really try and work to fix that. Um, so that's it. kind of how I base it. It's not really a time thing. It's really kind of dependent on the shooter. 
But I, I absolutely, one of my biggest passions in life is coaching people. I have a couple of twin girls that I coach who are also going to be big names. Yeah. Um, is, Isabel and Kaylee Geisbuehler, they've won everything that you can win in the youth class. And now they hold, you know, most of the adult female records in Washington State as adults. And How old are 15. they? They're, they're 15. They've won Vegas twice. They've won Reading like three times. They've, they've just, they've done everything. They're, they're going to be really, really, really phenomenally good. Not just for, for ladies, but literally they can stand there and beat most of the men that I know. So, oh my gosh, um, I did not know that. That's so cool. And, and, and they're killers too. They've killed a lot of really nice bulls and yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. Okay. Well, let's talk elk hunting, man, because that's what, uh, I dig. That's what I think about. Uh, so we're both residents of Washington State. We are. The difference being is I've only killed two bulls in Washington because <laughs> I just don't – I choose not to hunt this state. Um, and I it's kind of regretful because it would be so nice to kill a $45 elk is what I call it, like whatever the te- – but I don't know anything about it, man. I, I, I've always been discouraged by Washington's seasons when it comes to archery or even archery. I usually, if I do an elk tag, it'd be a muzzy tag and I'll use a bow um, during that time frame. But like this year, for example, I bought a muzzy west side over the counter and I always have an elk tag in Washington because I have to in order to put it, my name in the hat for the draws mm-hmm. and bro. I had I came back from hunting a couple states and it was like September 29th and I had to choose do I go to Montana or do I go for the opener of Muzzy with my bow in Washington and guess what I chose probably Montana yes I did yeah <laughs> um, but I feel bad because I have a lot of people who reach out from Washington and ask me really specific questions about Washington elk hunting. And quite honestly, I, I just don't put the time in here. Um, and I I do want to, but if I'm honest, I always am going to pick greener grass. Um, so with that being said, um, let's talk about your experience hunting Washington State. Which season do you usually pick? I, I honestly, I just hunt the early uh, Washington elk season. Um, I've done well in my life. I've hunted, I've hunted elk um, 20 seasons and I've gotten 11 bulls out of those 20 seasons in Washington, not all real nice bulls. I mean, you know, Washington has a lot of rags. We don't, we don't, uh, manage very well, but I have also killed two, three fifty bulls in Washington. So, um, West side Washington. So there are good bulls in Washington, but the season is terrible. You know, the, the problem with, with Washington in my mind is that we have that 13 day season and, and the way it works is it's always starting on a Saturday. So you get Saturday, Sunday, you get that next full week and then you get Saturday and Sunday. So that first full week is what everybody in the state takes off of work. And you have the entire state hunting the same week. Whereas I look across the, you know, the shop is in Oregon is in Rainier, Oregon. And the guys over there, they have like a five week early season. And so you'll talk to the guys and they're like, Oh yeah, I got the second week off. Oh yeah. I got the third week off. You know, they, they're, they've got their entire state split up between five weeks. Whereas we're jamming everybody in the same week. So we've got, super super crowded forest during the during the season it's really really tough um so 
when I was a kid, it wasn't that bad. Like there was elk everywhere. Uh, Washington, I felt like it was a really good place to hunt 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, it's, it's recently gotten worse and worse. And then as you know, the hoof rot issue down in the Southwest, which, which is spread everywhere else as well, um, has really, I think hurt the numbers as well. Uh, what I will say is that if you, if you take the time and you, there are still good elk in Washington and we have decent numbers. If you really, really take the time in the off season, you know, the, the big thing for me is I go find new places in the off season, you know, like during the springtime when they're, when they're growing their antlers and bulls are out a lot, or even during the winter, you know, when you're probably never going to see a bull, but you're only going to see cows. We go out and we, we find new places and we just spend weekends in the woods and we just find elk and we figure out like, oh, this, this area holds elk right now during September, there's so many people out there that you may never see an elk in the open. And most of these people that just drive the roads and they don't ever get out of their truck, they're like, oh, this place doesn't have elk. But I know that it has elk because I was out there in the winter all the time and I saw them. I, I know the elk are still there. So then we just get on Google Maps and it's like, OK, well, where are they most likely to go? Um, where where are we going to find them? And and we try and find those areas that are the furthest away from the roads. You know, if you get on Google Maps, you can you can look for timber patches where it's like, oh, right here is a long ways away from any road. I bet you the elk will hole up over here. And uh, so th that's where we'll put up game cameras and, and we'll we'll start to find them and we'll figure it out and be like, oh, yeah, there is a couple of really good bulls here. And I'll talk to other people that hunt that same unit and they're just like, uh, we haven't seen an elk all year. And it's like, no, they're there. I promise. I promise they're there. You just have to work really hard in this state. Well, I like that. I mean, I like a challenge. Um, I think if I ever strike out with other states as far as tags go, I will go all in on Washington. Um, and I would probably stick to my side of the state and go north of Spokane up there where the elk densities are really feeble. But they there's some big bulls to be found in there. I see a giant every year get killed over-the-counter public land um needle in the haystack though so you have to do the scouting and you have to put the time in which is really what this podcast is all about delayed gratification that's why we talk about shooting your bow year round and having perfect practice and super tuning because it all leads up to separation is in the preparation um when it comes to washington like for you like are you saying that you kind of so we have a 14 day season ish from what i gather you're putting more effort in the back half of that season? Not, not so much. I mean, I, so for me, I, I take off the entire season. Like I am not working during elk season. We just, we, we don't have a long enough season. And no doubt. for me, for me, what I tell, so you, you know, Sean, right. You know, Sean Elza, he's the one that kind of hooked us up. Yeah. Um, I don't know him, but so, he sent me a message. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so anyways, um, he, he's only ever killed one bull. He's one of the best target shooters that I know. And he's only killed one bull. And I tell him, I'm like, you know, you absolutely are, are such a good shot that you should be killing elk every year, but you're not putting in the amount of time that you need. So I, I sent him out to where I hunt this year and he only hunted there one day. And he was like, Oh my God, man, this place is amazing. I was on a really good, nice bull 
And I just, I didn't have time because, you know, I got to work the next day and all that. So for me, I take off the whole season and it's, it's just the persistence, right? So I'm the type of guy that once I find a bull in an area that I like, or if I, if, if I'm in an area that I know really well, and I know there's elk moving through there, I keep hitting it every day, no matter what I might go four, five, six days without seeing a single elk, but I just keep going. I just stay absolutely persistent because I know that they're there and I will scout, you know, leading up to the season. So if, if it's like, okay, there was just elk here four days ago, like I know that they're coming back through, they're going to be here. And I think that, uh, you know, uh, among other things is really one of the reasons that I have been persistent. You, you'll, you'll get a lot of people that, They'll hunt an area one day and they don't see anything and maybe they don't see a lot of sign or whatever and they go across the map the next day. They're somewhere completely else. So it's just like it's just like trying to win the lottery, right? They're picking they're picking a different spot every day instead of just running the same numbers every single day, right? Like just keep going back to the spot that you know. If you got them on trail camera and you know that they've been there all year, chances are they're probably gonna be there unless unless they really got pushed hard out of there. But probably they're going to be there. And for me, that's what's always worked is just stay persistent. Just keep going, hunt it hard, do whatever you got to do, put miles on the boots, but keep staying in the area that you know that they're going to be. So when it comes to, again, this state, like I think of, okay, are you really like hunting true rosies? Some of those um, cross hybrid, whatever you want to call it, bench leg type elk or do you like to hunt the true rosies? And then we have to get into like this pay to play thing that, that I'm kind of familiar with as far as like, you got to go to private timber company X and put in and pay a ridiculous access fee. But then there's several tiers of access, like one where you can walk in one where you can drive in one where you can can't, I don't know how it works. Kind of take us through some of that stuff that I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, so I I hunt the like Cascade Roosevelts. Um, so the way that the state breaks breaks it up is anything west of I five, they consider it a, a true Roosevelt, right? Like a coastal. Um, the coastals just they don't get as big on on the west side. Like I think the I think the state record for like a coastal like a true Roosevelt is like a three thirty five or something. Um, the anything east of I five is what they can you know east of I five to the Pacific to the Pacific crest trail is that, that cascade Roosevelt is what they call it. And those bulls do get a little bit bigger, right? Cause they are some type of hybrid bench leg type animal. Um, it, those bulls are actually super, super pretty because they, they are, you know, like a cross between a Rocky mountain and a Roosevelt. So they'll get nice and big and wide, but they'll also get really, really heavy horned. Like, like what true Roosevelt's will do. Um, they, they'll, uh, they'll crown oftentimes when they're mature. Um, so, so I really like those and really I, I hunt those honestly, because that's just a product of where I grew up. Right. So if I would have grown up somewhere closer to the coast, I would have hunted over there, but I grew up in Tootle, um, went to school at Tootle Lake there by Mount St. Helens. And I just hunted that Winston Cal Weeman area growing up. Um, and so those are just, those are just the bulls that I always hunted. And I've just kind of always 
stayed in that area. Now, when I got older, I started hunting. I started hunting up more north. Um, I feel like the further north you go in this state, the better the elk hunting gets. I think that southwest Washington, the hoof rod has just absolutely destroyed the herd down there. You, you still find elk, but it used to be when I was in high school and even out of high school that we would see a lot of good bulls down there. And nowadays it's just, and they are few and far between. And, and the, and the, the herd is just, is really hurting. Um, that makes sense. That makes sense. I think I have a, I have reps hunting in the general area you're talking about. And I, I did it one year. I, I went for, Four days, which is not very much, but that's what I had. I got in on two different six-point bulls. And, I mean, I'm talking 60 yards under, just couldn't get an arrow released. Uh, but I will say somewhere around 30 trucks at the trailhead, and then the other trailhead had probably close to 20. And when I got there, this was several years ago, I was like, holy shit. Are you kidding me? This is, and I seriously had to like pull out maps, scratch everything I had scouted because I did scout in the summer, scratch all that off and start figuring out where do humans not want to go because of topography. And that's what I did. And in a short four day window, probably should have got it done. I think I made a mistake on the six point bull, like uh, came to full draw too early um, had to hold forever. He, we had to stare down. And when I had to let down, he caught that. And then the other six point, I think is just a, a matter of, I had a, a couple limbs in the way of the shot. Um, but that's pretty good considering that many human beings in that area that I was at. And I always figured I would go back there if I ever did hunt Washington and do, run the same play. Like, Go find the nastiest terrain topography, and that's where the elk will be. And um, they were bugling. They responded to vocalizations. Uh, the country is beautiful, and it's it's no joke. It's legit elk hunting. It's super challenging. Uh, and I didn't run into a lot of people, but there was a lot of people there. The, the, the spot where I hunt, we, we, this is the first year, actually this year, we ran into people back there. But for several years, we've never ran into another person, right? And when you're coming out of the woods, like we'll see a million people, right? They're everywhere. But where we go, we have never seen people. It's just, it's it's too steep and deep. People just don't get out of their trucks and and hike in as far as we do. And and you know we always hike in and we camp back in there, right? Because it's just it's just too far to do every day. Um, and we just don't run into people. Now this year it was really really smoky because of all the wildfires and Weyerhaeuser closed down a bunch of their land, so people were out there seeking other areas. And and where I hunt, it's a piece of state land, but it's a piece of state land that doesn't have any road access, right? So you, it, it's, it's really hard to get to. Um, and there's just not roads going through it. Like, you know, so we, the elk get pushed there and it's just a really good little spot. Well, we, I think people got on Onyx and was like, okay, well, warehouses closed. Where can we go? And they started finding these little pockets and that's, you know, so we ran into people and, and, uh, w- you know, which is fine. Um, but they are out there. Like I said, there, there is good bulls in Washington. In fact, there's really good bulls. I shot a good bull this year and it wasn't the biggest one that I saw, 
you know, oh, yeah. we saw just a giant out there this year and we just weren't able to, to get on it. But my dad shot a good six by six. I shot a good six by six. Um, and one of the girls that I, that I take one of the twins, um, one of them didn't tag an elk and one of them shot a six by six. So out of the four of us, uh, three of us shot nice, good, mature bulls out of Washington. Um, so, so they're there, but we all put in so much work during the off season, figuring it out and putting up cameras and, and spending time out there. And I think most of the people that I talk to that come through the shop, I mean, they dust off their bows a week before hunting season and they haven't put up cameras. They have, they don't know where they're going to go. It's like, Oh, where are you hunting this year? You know, and I don't want anybody's spots, but it's like, Oh, you know, where are you going? Oh, well, we haven't figured it out yet. We don't know. And it's just like, okay, well, that's not a recipe for success. Like you got to put in a little bit more effort than that. Um, you know, some people get lucky and it works and they find them from the truck, but the overwhelming majority of, of people just, if all you do is drive roads and you get out and you, you know, you walk through a, a clear cut or you, you walk a small timber patch or whatever, you're probably not going to have the success that you're after. No, I couldn't agree more. So in your reps in Washington Bulls, do you find that it's probably more advantageous to have a, a good partner and you guys trade off shooter caller? That's what I'm assuming. Yeah, so I, I think that's a tactic that works really well. That's what we did this year. Um, actually, this year was really, really, really cool because I haven't been able to hunt with my dad for several years now because my dad was just, he was just, you know, honestly, he was just too overweight. Um, I shot a good bull last year and he was like, I want to do that. And I was just like, okay, you know, t take this year and just get yourself into shape. Like seriously, take it, take it serious. My dad lost 85 pounds in a year yes, and was able to go out there and keep up and do everything. So it was, I mean, this year was the coolest thing in the world. Like I was able to call a bull in for him. And then four days later, he called a bull into seven yards for me. So it, it was such, I mean, it was, it was the best, it was the best year I've ever had just to be able to share that with him. Could you imagine me strapping an 85 pound weight vest to you and then you got to wear your pack and I'm like, all right, bro, keep up with me. No. And so last year after I shot my bull, I was like, Hey, let me take you in there. And he was just like, and, and it, it, he said it, you could just see the like pain in his eyes, right? He was just like, I, I can't, I can't do that. And it's just like, okay, I, I get it. You're right. You probably couldn't, um, lose the weight. And I mean, he took, I've, I've never seen somebody be so tunnel visioned on what they were going to do. I mean, all year, I don't think this guy had a bite of sugar all year. I mean, he got off the sodas from day one. I mean, nothing. He was going to the gym for like three hours a day before work and just killing himself to get in shape. And it was just, it was such a cool success story to see like this guy worked. I mean, he is the absolute epitome of somebody that worked for it every single day of the year. And then the big payoff was the season. I mean, he was going out there scouting with me, putting in hikes, going and finding the bulls, learning the area, and then literally opening evening of opening day, he shot a nice bull. So it was just, it was just such a cool payoff and the greatest success story ever. Um, but you know, the, the hunting with a partner is a very good way to do it in Washington, because as you know, Western Washington is very thick. Um, oftentimes if you're trying to solo hunt, by the time you call one in, you know, if, if you're trying to call by yourself, they're, they're in your lap and then they're so close to you that you can't draw your bow or whatever, because it's just, they're going to see you. 
Um, but it also works, you know, on the flip side, you can, I've, I've shot a lot of my bulls just on solo hunts, right? Because, because it is so thick, oftentimes you're able to hide in a spot and you can range the terrain around you. And I can range like, okay, this tree over here is 40 yards over here is 20. If he pops out, and I can have everything range. And by the time he does pop out, he will be well within range because it's so thick. So you get a lot of the closer shots. You know, the only problem with it is, as you know, elk like to hang up at 80 to 100 yards oftentimes. So if you don't have a collar, sometimes you can't get them all the way into you, which is kind of the reason that I've never really relied on calling. I've always been the type of person, the, the way that I hunt and the strategy that I use is that I, I'll, I'll location bugle to find them or if I just already know kind of where they're going to be at from the night before or whatever. I just kind of use the terrain to set up ambushes and get as close as I can and then rely on my ability to shoot the bow. So like I said, if I, if I can get within 60, 70 yards, like I feel very confident with that shot where a lot of people are trying to call them in to 20, 30 yards. So if, if I had to shoot bulls, 30 yards and in, in Washington, I, I certainly, I've, like I said, I've killed 11 bulls. I, I've probably only shot three, three or four bulls under 30 yards. Um, so for me, it all, it all goes back to that target archery and having the ability to shoot your bow well at longer distances and not blowing the opportunities that you do get. So, you know, if you get a 45 yard shot, like you got to be confident enough to, okay, there it is. This is my opportunity for the year. Because a lot of times in Washington, the season is so short, you might only get one legitimate opportunity. You might get one shot opportunity. And when that one shot opportunity comes, you have to capitalize and you have to have put in the, put in the work all year, practicing your bow and, and, getting really good at shooting and going to these tournaments. So you have the confidence to do it under pressure because it does add an element of pressure when you know that, God, I only have 13 days to get this done. Here's my shot opportunity. Like this could be what I worked for all year. And if I blow this like a year down the drain, right? Like I have to be able to make this shot. Um, so that's why I preach to people, practice, 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 go to these tournaments, do everything that you can to put the odds in your favor. Mm, I love it. You know what I see in the future, Blake? I see us doing an elk-shaped camp at Triple X Archery. Uh, we had one scheduled in Vancouver mm, last year, or I guess technically this year. I've had a lot of people message me, hey, what happened to that camp? Well, we just COVID happened. Yeah. That was the one that we had to cancel. Um, and the, the amount of messages I get about, are you going to do one in Washington? Uh, and I've already done several in Washington. Uh, and the future is looking bright. I, I'm going to lower the amount of camps I do. I think we're doing seven in 2021. And then after that, I think I'm going to lower it to just a couple. Um, they're hard for me to do that many, leaving my family. I got a young family. Sure. And so I love them. I truly am passionate about it because we're seriously covering everything that we've talked about in this podcast, uh, but just 20 layers deeper in person. And so... Uh, the premise is we start with, like I said, working on setups and then we go to execution and we need a super good pro shop like yours because I want everyone's system touched and manipulated and maneuvered to where they're going to have more success. And everything you've said about separation is in the preparation couldn't be more truer. So uh, I see potential, man. Maybe 2022, we'll do one over at your shop. And, yeah, um, I would love that. It would maybe be like one of three that I do all year. So uh, be on the lookout. We'll talk 
I'll get your number from you after this. Uh, guys, if you want to learn more about XXX Archery, check the show notes. I will put a link not only to their shop address and website, but uh, you can also follow Blake on Instagram. I'll put a link there. I want to thank you for your time, Blake. And uh, guys, the, the off season is, a, is, a, is upon us. And truly separations in the preparation. There's about a million things you can do to get better at your game when it comes to elk hunting. I encourage you to just pick one thing every day and do it in the name of better elk hunting. Could be literally blank bailing, as we've just mentioned, all the way out to some French tuning or walk back tuning, all the way to just some e-scouting or doing some quick research or networking with friends. So I hope you were inspired to work harder by listening to this podcast. Blake, thanks for your time. Last Last chance for any shout outs, and then we'll call it an episode. No, I think you pretty much covered everything. I really appreciate you having me on. Awesome, man. I can't wait to meet you in person. Guys, we will catch you on the next one. Have a great week. All right, guys, that was Blake. He's a stud. I actually hope I can get some coaching from him. Um, I'm always looking to get better, and if someone can make me better, I'm all ears. A lot of stuff to go. You might want to re-listen to this one and pick it apart, but I think just initially you need to probably start doing a little bit of blank bailing, seeing how to get your conscious out of the shot execution if you can. I want to give everyone, again, a plug to, to do the Elk Shape Chub Challenge Week 4 if you're listening to this today, which is Monday, and this will be the last week that we do it in December, and I'm going to do it next year too. It was just too successful, too many people getting better. God bless you all. Uh, discount codes, call to actions. This is where I can add some value to you, save you some loot. Let's get right into it. Numa, discount code ElkShape20. That's just for you podcast listeners. You can save 20% off on all their systems. And if you're new to them, maybe start at their Merino base layers and work your way up from there. They make everything. And I'll be wearing just about everything they make. So check it out. And they have some new stuff coming out in 2021. I'm going to be able to do some field testing, be a part of their tribe, and and really give them feedback. So if you give me feedback, I can basically cascade that information to them. Treeline Academy. My good friend Mark Livesay, who I'm going to get on the podcast real soon. He has the most dope e-scouting online course ever. You're paying for digital education, just like uh, the Elk Collective that I partly own and that's all digital elk hunting education um that's a free plug for them um but i wanted to tell you that treeline academy i can get you the price of 99 which is going to save you some money and that's a year-long membership and that's basically so much information on how to e-scout that you probably will have to take that course once or twice throughout the year and really dig in on where you're going where to find the elk where to glass and to, to basically work through all the filters. I'll bring him on soon so he can explain it better, but I'm taking the course for the second time right now because I'm trying to teach some of the stuff that he's taught me at my Elk Shape camps, and it's a game changer. So the discount code again is Elk Shape. Baku e-bikes, this discount code I think expires December 31st. It's Elk Shape 400, save $400 off your e-bike. Plus we're giving away e-bike this week. Can't wait to give away mine. Stowaway Gourmet. Freeze-dried food. If you guys are looking at starting, you know what I would do is don't wait till July or August when all these companies sell out, all the freeze-dried companies sell out. Start chipping away and getting it little bit by little bit. The stuff, you know, doesn't expire per se and you can just, you can stow your stowaway gourmet and start building your little, uh, your little nest, nest egg of freeze-dried food. Use the discount code ELK10 and it'll get you 10% off. Try the bison. 
Try anything with bacon in it, of course, and uh, everything's delicious, made by chefs there in-house. Northwest Retention Systems, they make the Scout Holster. If you want to get the Scout Holster that has elk-shaped logo on it, you will be charged zero shipping and handling, and it's only a five-day lead time, and that is completely custom to whatever handgun you have. They'll make it right then and there. Wilderness Athlete, discount code ELKSHAPE30 will save you 30% off your first purchase. Last but not least, Vortex Wear. This is the gear that I wear when I'm scouting and when I'm working out. They have a whole new line, and that's what they wanted me to promote. And I'm glad to give you guys discount code ELKSHAPE. will get you 20% off. Check them out. Appreciate you guys. First ELKSHAPE camp coming up in February. Uh, we got three-fourths of the tickets have been sold. I will say if you are on the fence, the early bird pricing expires 12-31-2020. So get in on that action and save 50 bucks by using the discount code YouTube. I'm going to give you guys that here and that'll get you another 50 bucks off. Uh, I can tell you right now that the Pennsylvania one's just about sold out. Same with the Texas camp. So get on it. And at the Texas camp, we're giving away a V3 bow completely set up and doped. We're giving away hotel vouchers to anyone that comes to the camp, 150 bucks towards your hotel. So come to Corbin's archery. That's going to be off the hook. Seven locations. Look it up at oakshape.com. Appreciate you guys. We'll catch you on the next one.